My friends, you are in for a treat today with today's amazing guest. But before we get there, I want to take a moment just to say two important words. I don't say them enough, but here they are. Thank you. Thank you. As you may have heard, my second book, In Awe, came out last week. It arrived in bookshelves around the world on Tuesday last week, and it became an instant national bestseller on Amazon. We had an incredible virtual launch party on Friday evening. Many of you were there for the party, and many are still complimenting with early praise coming in from peers and community members alike. So let me say these words again to you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you have not yet had an opportunity to check out the book in awe, you have that chance right now. I want you to visit me at readinawe.com. In Awe is about rediscovering your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration and joy and meaning in your life. I don't think there could be a better time than the pandemic, than the recession, than this period of isolation that we currently face to rediscover childlike wonder. So again, get your copy, send one to a friend, learn more about it at readinawe.com or wherever beautiful books are sold. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, my friends, our guest today has a story that I believe can change your life. After being born without arms or legs, our guest faced tremendous obstacles, including helplessness and isolation and depression and anxiety probably something that many of us are dealing with right now, until he discovered his purpose in life. As a New York Times best-selling author, as an international speaker, as an entrepreneur, and as a father of four, Nick emphasizes that no matter your circumstances, you can indeed overcome. Nick shares his path to finding purpose and how sharing his struggles have inspired billions. No, not tens or hundreds or thousands or millions. I'm talking about billions. Nick also talks about what he's looking forward to next. This conversation with the ambassador of hope himself will remind you that we can all rise above the adversity we face today and overcome every disability and live a life indeed without limits. My friends, get ready today for a wild, beautiful, inspirational, emotional, faith-filled, passionate, authentic, honest, an amazing conversation with a guy that I've looked up to for as long as I've known his story, as long as I've known his heart and his smile. You're going to love him too. It's my friend and now yours. His name is Nick Vojcic. Nick, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John, for having me. You're an inspiration, my friend, and I'm thankful to be here on uh, on the show. Well, it's coming from unarguably the greatest inspiration currently living. His name is Nick. You are an amazing man. You've inspired me in my profession, in my faith, in my career. You heard the long brag as I brought you onto our Live Inspired podcast, Nick. But for the three people listening right now who somehow have never seen one of your videos or heard one of your spe your speeches or read one of your books, describe for us what your life is like today. Well, basically, we've got a, a slogan of... Um 
an internal verbiage of me being an ambassador of hope. And when people see a limbless man smiling and embracing life and challenges, changing obstacles into opportunities, um, I just want to inspire people that beautiful things can come from your broken pieces. And if a man without arms and legs uh, who was born that way can transform into a person giving out love um, and, and living a life without limits, then really the perspective of hope changes for everyone. And not to say, John, that I compare anyone else's suffering, but it's the simple truths, values, and attitudes that the happiest people on earth are those who are thankful, so an attitude of gratitude, mm. and the people who don't live a life of victimization compared to, I'm going to take it, it is what it is, I got what I got, and I'm going to do my best. And uh, ready or not, life, here I come. So it's amazing now at 37 to tell you that I've traveled around the world um, and trying to be the hands and feet of love, spreading a message of hope, faith, and, and, and life. So I'm going to back you up 38 years. Okay, so you're not quite in the picture yet. And I want you to describe for us, because I think a lot of our listeners know a bit about you, Nick, but they may not know a bunch about your parents. Would you begin by first yeah. talking about your mom? I, I believe her name is Duska. Correct. Yeah, my mom, Dushka, um, was actually a nurse before I was uh, born. I was their firstborn son, Boris and Dushka. And they actually had no idea that I was going to be born without limbs uh, until I was actually born. And the doctors turned to them and said, we are so sorry we didn't realize that this was going to happen. We wish we knew it so then we could have at least given you an option to abort your child. He's never going to walk. He's not going to go to school. But little did they know uh, that my my parents would be used to help uh, change the school system in Australia to allow special needs children to go to the, the mainstream school for the very first time. And so it took my mom four months to come to terms with that um, and to hold me with peace. Uh, and, and it's not like they, I mean, obviously adoption went through their mind, but with their family and friends around them, they felt with their faith as well um, that they were given this child and uh, that they're going to be okay. Um, and so will he. And there were many, many questions, not only did they have and I had, but everyone around them thinking, what is the future of this limbless boy? So little did they know, uh, first of all, there's no medical reason why this would happen, but I have a little left appendage, uh, a little foot on my bottom left of my body and my torso, which enabled me to write, type, swim, golf, kick a ball. And so that's when my parents realized, hey, Nick, you don't know what you can achieve until you try it. So they helped me at an early age to redefine impossible, that I didn't know what was possible until I, uh, I didn't know what was impossible until I knew what was possible. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they were very encouraging uh, in my childhood, always loving, caring, and a very hardworking parent that taught me also not to just expect life giving you good things, but you got to figure it out. Nick, what did you learn from dad, Boris? You know what? He told me at age six, six uh, years old, he said, Nick, figure it out. You're going to have to start a business in accounting and financial planning. Uh, get employees to be your hands and feet. You're going to have to become a millionaire um, just because you need help um, every day of your life. And so um, they inspired me to do house chores for money, which 
gave me goal setting, dignity, principles uh, of life, valuing what I have, feeling like I could do something, saving up money for the different things I wanted. But uh, it really inspired me to, number one, what they always said was have faith in God. Number two, know that we love you. Number three, do as much as you can. Do your best and, uh, and, and, and don't put limits on yourself. And um, it, was, it was difficult, though, uh, between ages 6 and 15 to really know my purpose. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Why am I here? Why did this happen to me? Why didn't this happen to the people who are bullying me at school? Um, they're nasty. I'm a nice guy. And so all these questions of, is there a purpose to life? Um, is it just bad luck? And so I was searching, and I didn't find an answer for many, many years. And I spiraled John into a depression between ages 8 and 12. A lot of it was because of the bullying that I faced at school. And at age 10, I attempted suicide. Based on what I knew, what I felt, and what I saw, I convinced myself that I'd never get married, have a job, become independent, and be happy. And I thought to myself, even if I got married, I can't even hold my wife's hand. Mm. Even if I had kids, I can't even hold them when they're crying. Today, um, I am married. Uh, Our eighth anniversary is coming up next week. Four children, two boys, two girls. And I don't need to hold her hand. I just need to hold her heart. And when our kids cry, um, they know that daddy can't put his arms around them, but they come and snuggle up next to daddy. And it's just beautiful to know that, yeah, you know, life is good. You know, life life isn't always smooth and life is not always good, but life overall is good. The gift of life, the gift of hope and the gift of free choice where we have a choice, not to say that all you need is positivity. No, faith, family, and friends is what I need. But positive attitudes and principles and perspectives have absolutely enabled me to have a life that I'm not disabled, um, I'm not held back. It's about our heart and our minds. And I never tell people, John, that, you know, I, I think it's the worst having no arms and no legs. I tell teenagers it's worse being in a broken home than mm-hmm. having no limbs. And so we have the fears of the heart, the fear of the future, the fear of failure. We all need to overcome those barriers. It doesn't matter how our challenge looks like. It's the same challenge that we all need to overcome. Nick, as a young man, taking you back to that bathtub experience when you attempted suicide and during those years afterwards, those years of darkness and sadness and you're being bullied and you're lacking self-esteem and confidence. When you looked in the mirror, what, what do you see? So go back to the a little Nick, age 12, looking in the mirror. Who do you see looking back at you? Alone, um, depressed, um, scared, hmm. fearful. That's who I was deep down. I put in a brave face to everyone around me. And in fact, no one knew that I'd attempted suicide at age 10 until I was 21. Um, I didn't want my family to feel guilty for that. They did nothing but love me. And in fact, it was the love of my family, John, that held me through as I tried to fill up my lungs with air as I'm trying to drown myself. Uh, Sorry, fill up my lungs with water. Um, Trying to drown myself, I was only stopped by one thought. It was my 
family um, crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. Mm. And so that's when I knew um, I would be missed, that I am loved. But there are many people listening who might be thinking, well, if I disappeared, I don't think anyone would miss me. And so I think that's why it's important to talk to people around you, maybe get counseling. Um, if you're a teenager, just tell your parents what you're feeling. Tell them what's going on. Um, because no matter who our audience is, um, those thoughts of suicide are not um, prone to just one age group. We all go through that. Um, I feel on some sort of level feeling like there is no hope. But I think we really judge ourselves when we look ourselves in the mirror we don't really see the good that could come from broken pieces and all we harness on nurse rehearse and curse the past judging our future by what we know what we see and what has happened then we don't give any room for miracles and i just want everyone to know that when you don't get a miracle you can still be a miracle for someone else Nick, when did you begin shifting as you looked at the mirror from feeling alone and depressed and sad and fearful to united and uh, optimistic and hopeful and faithful? When, when did that shift begin and, and what caused it? Believe it or not, it was a life experience where I played soccer, hurt my little foot so bad I couldn't walk for, for three weeks, staring at the ceiling, laying in my bed, thinking, man... I really have to be thankful for what I have and not just focus on what I don't have because I was immobilized. And um, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for what I have. And that helped me to bring in this heart and, and perspective of being thankful. At age 15, uh, my biggest question of purpose, to me, I mean, John, you know I'm a man of faith, and, and I do believe that God created us. And who greater to tell us our purpose than the one who made us? And my biggest question was, why was I born this way? And um, I really was touched by a story about a blind man that Jesus healed. And the blind man, I'm sure, would have wanted a plan from the healer before he healed him of the blind eyes. But, but he actually didn't say anything. He didn't say, hey, before you do anything and put mud on my face, I want to know what you're about to do. And here I am with no arms, no legs, asking God, hey, if you've got a plan for me, tell me what the plan is, and then I'll trust you. And I realized I, knowing the plan takes away from the equation faith. And so that's the pinnacle of believing in an unseen God. It's not a cop-out. It's really believing that he's much greater than me that I'll never know everything he knows, and do I trust him? And so I said at 15, you've got a plan for a blind man, you've got a plan for me. And uh, I'm not going to give up on you. Help me to know that you can give me arms and legs, but if you don't, you still got a plan for me. And that's when things changed in my soul, then my spirit, and then my mind. Mm. And when your soul and your spirit and your mind are complete and lacking nothing, Knowing that arms and legs itself don't give you hope, money, drugs, fame, sex, alcohol, anything that this world ever can give you, and even a great relationship, relationships itself don't complete you as much as your soul understanding that there's an eternal purpose in you and you're living a life of purpose. Um, it's not just to enjoy, 
it's a greater purpose that I discovered at age 15. And then believe it or not, at 17, I was at my high school and it was the janitor of my high school who looked at me one day and said, you're going to be a speaker. And I said, you're crazy. And he actually begged me for three months, will you please allow me to arrange your first speech? And I'm like, dude, you're like, what are you talking about? What, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? He said, your story. I said, I don't have a story. He said, yes, you do. And just like someone, you know, was used in your life. I mean, many people, John, for you and, and the, 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 the pillars of strength for you and inspiration and standing in the gap. And then that one voice saying, wake up. Uh, it was almost that this guy was like, hey, to me, go do what you've been made to do. And for three months, I said, no, I was in front of a group of students speaking and my palms were sweating, my knees were shaking. <laughs> um, biggest fear in the world is, is public speaking. Right. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing and people were crying and then they got my number and then, you know, youth groups and other networks and organizations asked me to go and speak. And then I spoke 12 times between ages 17 and 19, went into real estate market, stock market investing, um, financial literacy started for me at age 17 that same year but man i had no idea that a huge career in speaking would explode worldwide and um graduated from college at 21 with a double major in accounting and financial planning and then went into full-time speaking and i've done now 3500 speeches in 74 countries and i've been on tv and media and through digital online platforms, sharing some form of hope uh, to 2 billion people, a billion people in China and a billion people outside of China. And through our uh, evangelical ministry, Life Without Limbs, um, I'm able to go and, and share about my faith. But I'm a hired gun for motivational speeches and keynotes for corporations and government departments all around the world and it's just been an incredible ride ever since and now I'm 37 38 years old and and I look back and I tell you John if I had fingers I'd pinch myself because <laughs> I feel like I am living the dream brother you are living the dream I I read somewhere along the line that there was a point where you told your dad you're going to go like you're going to go into speaking you're going to go into ministry work yeah. and he yeah. was angry in fact so angry yeah. that he said no you're not and you said dad i am and he said no you're not and you said yeah i am and for 2 years he did not talk yeah. to you is that an accurate story yeah what so yeah, well, look. two questions why why so why was he so mad that why don't we start there why was dad so mad Okay, well, there's two different things, right? So I've got the corporate speeches and all that. Um, and that he wasn't worried about. Mom and dad were really worried because they knew that I, I, had, I had no idea what I was doing uh, as far as the speaking career. Uh, there was no YouTube. There was no <laughs> website. There was no nothing. Um, and I was just going around and doing this and, and not really getting paid. And I didn't know any other speaker getting paid. I mean, back in 2000, there was no Aussie making a living in Australia in motivational speaking. It was an unknown industry. If there was a speaker in town, they're from America. Um, and that's it. And so speaking as a career, number one, um, my parents said, just be, 
do your accounting and financial planning degree and stick to what we know and what you know. And after you graduate, if you still want to do some, fine. But you got to stick to that, your bread and butter. My dad's real concern was, you know, when I'm on the platforms of some other churches, that he was really worried that I'd be more influenced by other people than me influencing them. And he was really scared about that. Um, and he really thought I'd gone off the rails. And I've made this, you know, fantasy in my mind that I'm going to be able to travel around the world and make a living and influence people and change lives and not be polluted by other people's thinking sometimes. And mm. So he was a little scared on that. What brought you back together? Two years without talking to mom, without talking to your father, and, and then eventually what brought you back together? You know, I love that question. Not many interviewers ask me that question. Um, it was them, actually, my parents, um, seeing the fruit, me sharing some emails uh, from people who started emailing me back and saying I was going to commit suicide the day after, but your speech saved my life. And... Um, they didn't come to the speeches for many, many years, but they, the word got around as their son actually spoke within four years, uh, a quarter of the whole city face to face. And people <laughs> this, is, this is Melbourne. Is that where you were Melbourne at the time? Actually at this time I was in Brisbane. Okay. Um, uh, and so a quarter of, of the whole town was about, you know, 1.25 million people at the time. A quarter of the town knew exactly who I was. I mean, I did hundreds of speeches, and my largest audience at that time was 18,000 people or something like that. And so, um, yeah, that was – it was interesting because they started getting feedback, and then YouTube started. And then, you know, I'm sure that some of my mom's colleagues – I think that's what it happened. My mom's colleagues at work and my dad's colleagues at work, they said, hey – your son came to my kid's school or church, and man, he was the best speaker ever. <laughs> so I, like, okay. <laughs> my mom's like, what are you sharing? I'm like, I'm just sharing my story. And my mom's like, you have a story? I'm like, I think so. And so uh, they, they heard about the fruit, and then they saw it, and then they started believing in it and seeing it. So, yeah. Man, what what would you say to a parent out there or to a son or daughter, a family member, a friend, spouse, uh, neighbor who has gone a, a week or decades without talking to a loved one? What, what's your encouragement to someone who uh, th they are today where your dad was back then? Look, you just have no idea what greater purpose anyone has. And we all serve a greater purpose. Some have a title, some have a stage, and some don't. Uh, but we all have a greater purpose, and the greatest purpose of all, John, as you know, out of all people, it's to love and believe in each other and to be there for one another. I think we've really lost the connectivity as, as technology has really felt like it's been substituted in some way, shape, or form, and we feel like it's still on a qualitative level. It's really not. Mm -hmm. And um, reaching out to somebody who you haven't really talked to could be so important for that person. We just have no idea who's going through what. You know, I'm actually a youth advisor to uh, three different governments because I've been able to do 290 schools with anonymous surveys in America. And um, I asked them four questions in front of the crowd. I'm a speaker. You're a speaker. 
you know, as a speaker, you want to know your audience. And so one day I got everyone to bow their head, close their eyes and put their hands in the fist. That way no one's looking. And if I ask those four questions that are highly sensitive, if their answer is a yes, they can simply put their hands in a fist. And so um, they actually uh, hear me asking them questions like, put your hands in a fist if you've thought of suicide, attempted suicide, attempted suicide because of bullying at school, attempted suicide because of brokenness at home. Six to 12% of all teenagers have actually thought of suicide, three to six attempted. 40% of the reason for teenage suicide in America is because mm. of a broken home, and 40% because of bullying at school. And we all deal with bullying, and we all deal with brokenness in our lives. And so sometimes it only takes one person to befriend you and be a listening ear or help you get the courage to get counseling or help you to see your life from a different perspective or encourage you because they've been where you're at. You know, that's the whole thing. We all can be a miracle for someone else. I can be a miracle for another limbless boy. And I've met 30 limbless children. My parents were a miracle for their parents. Yeah. Um, those who are listening who have been verbally abused or lost a mother to cancer, like I've lost my dad to cancer, we all can encourage one another um, in our story, uh, in letting people know that there is hope beyond the brokenness and that we're still here for one another. You just have no idea whose life you could save if you just took your time to call someone, encourage them, befriend them. Um, not just acquaintances, but really, who are our friends? Um, and not how do they make us feel, but how do we also make them feel? Nick, you have saved countless lives. I mean, you can't even put put a, a tally on it, but countless lives and given inspiration to billions so the work you do is is saving lives and redeeming lives, and yet it's not always met with praise. You have uh, received some negativity. You've received several death death threats. Would you mind sharing about one of them? Yeah, I mean, most recently we found a grenade at our home 12 months ago that's not recorded in any books. Um, car bomb last year threat in Ukraine. Um, I mean, we got phone calls saying, if you go ahead with your stadium meeting tonight, we'll blow everyone up. So we've had a lot of different threats. And um, some of them are threatened by me when I talk about my faith, because it's kind of a religious thing that they become a little bit intimidated of. Um, and uh, that's throughout nonprofit Life Without Limbs. Mm -hmm. And so we have people who have sponsored me as their missionary. And that kind of gets sensitive, especially down in Southeast Asia in a country called Indonesia. And um, what was interesting is is the person who gave us the, the threat, we went back there and, um, and he actually gave us an email later saying, the second time around hearing you has actually changed my life and I came there to kill you, but I've actually received what you said that night. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's just... It's, it's amazing. You know, we, we do live a, a quite a unique life. Nick, we do, like you, a survey with all the clients who bring us into their organizations, uh, ask them about the meeting, the challenges, the dreams, the, the headwind, all the, all the stuff of business and life. 
Question number 13 is, what topics do you not want John O'Leary to talk about? And there are always two answers in response. Number one is politics, and number two is faith. So my question to a man who uh, is so faithful, Nick, is why do you think we're so afraid of listening to someone else talk about their faith journey? You know, and believe it or not, I'm about to become a little bit more vocal about politics myself. Because um, you can't be 100% true to your faith without being vocal on some political rule that's imposing on your faith. Um, it's interesting. It really, really is. And I feel like that fear is diminishing for people to talk politically, to talk about our faith, uh, especially in some other states. I'm a resident of California um, currently. Um, I'm moving to, to Texas, actually. And um, I feel great about that. But I'm, I mean, you ask me personally, am I afraid of mentioning my faith? Never. Am I told on some TV shows to not mention my faith? Yep. Do I sometimes obey? Yep. Do I sometimes disobey? Yep. It just depends on the prompting of the spiritual realm where you just don't know what a couple words under a faith conversation could really do to somebody who is still searching. And to be afraid of that, it's more of discernment and wisdom. Sometimes when to speak, sometimes when not to speak, but always preaching the gospel without love anyway. I mean, without words, but love. And so you don't always need words. Action always speaks louder than words. The greatest amazing way to, to share about your faith is to actually share about the struggles that you're going through, right. but they can look in your eyes and you've still got peace. You've still got strength, and you you ain't backing down. You, you're going to endure because you know that your faith is the one thing, not your strength, not your plan, not your wisdom, not your discernment, um, but through faith that you can overcome anything. And so that's when I'm like, wow, like I thought I'm going to make my own religion up and belief, and my, I'm going to trust in my own positivity. And you realize your own positivity, your own plans, and your own little cocktail of religious thoughts and philosophies kind of have their own questions as well. But man, that guy's strength is undeniable. I want to talk about your eyes for a moment. Um, in every interview, Nick, and I've seen you speak a couple times live, in every video interview, though, every time you're preaching or teaching or speaking, you exude light from your eyes, uh, joy, resiliency, th this life, man. Uh, talk about that. Why, why do you have such joy in your eyes? You, 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 many guys use their arms to articulate their messages. You clearly don't. Many guys move quickly around the stage to get it across. You don't. But you convey great wisdom loudly with your eyes. What, what is it about your eyes that you think is connecting with the audience? Uh, to me, you know that saying where it says, the eyes are the windows to your soul. Um, sure. You know, when, when you know that you've got fire around you or it's not that I wake up, John, every day 
with a smile on my face and joy all over me. Um, but it's going back to understanding that through the ups and downs of life, that money comes and goes. People may hurt you, take your money, take advantage of you, start rumors about you, whatever. But the truth always comes out. And, and the truth is, for me, my hope is not in how good I feel. My joy is not in how much I have. My joy is faith, family, and friendship. And if that is your focus, rich or poor, arms and legs or not, sick or healthy, it's unwavering. And if that's your focus, then that's your strength. So keeping those three things at the primary and having that beautiful variability in life to know that the next time I go to a grocery store and I smile at the person taking my credit card to pay for my groceries um, or handing me the receipt, you can tell them, hey, you're looking good today. Can I pray for you? No, 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 I don't want prayer. Well, I'm going to go to my car anyway, and I'm going to pray for you, so you might as well tell me what you want. And most people get caught off guard by that, and, and it opens their heart and mind. And to let them know that when you look someone in the eye, subconsciously, you're telling them, you matter. Um, I, I'm seeing you. I'm hearing you. I'm busy just like everyone is, but I'm going to take just a moment to look at you and acknowledge you um, because you don't know if that person feels like their life's not really worth living. Mm. Um, and you don't know what seeds of hope you plant in them that could really make a difference. You mentioned four descriptors that would have uh, been used by you in your early teens. And they were, you were alone, you were depressed, you were sad, you were fearful. And in hearing those, I wrote them down because I'm pretty convinced that the, the cashier you handed that credit card to feels at least one of those, if not all four, that the vast majority of the students you speak to feel one of those, if not all four, global audience, a couple million, uh, tens of million tuning in online feel at least one of those, if not all four. Uh, do you feel the weight of being someone who reminds them that they don't have to feel alone and fearful and depressed and sad. Is that a weight or is that a, a sail that you feel each day as you get out of bed? You know, I have, it's interesting. Um, you have mixed emotions um, in a way because you feel at times that you have to always be on, you know, I, I don't have a private plane. I'm sitting in the back of a little commercial plane <laughs> with gum on the side and mold on the side of one of you know the biggest airlines in the in the country and and I've done 2500 flights and every time you board and deboard and you go through the airport and you go to a grocery store or whatever uh, I can't exactly go cognito and so the responsibility <laughs> and heaviness of you know, being okay sometimes to take photos and sometimes to say no. Um, you know, it's hard when you go to a place called Disneyland and the first 250 people that ask you for a photo, you say yes to. And then the second 250, you say no to. And then you get hate mail 
saying that, you know, you should be okay to take photos with everyone mm. um, on Facebook. And so that part is, you know, you can't please everyone and you're not a superhero and, and it's okay to kind of cut your parameters on where you feel like you can do what you can do. But at the same time, it's a joy to know how many people have actually been touched and you hear a story and it it's a life-changing story that it's a story where my story changed their life. It's like my history is his story, God's story that changed their life. And their story now encourages me to keep on doing what I'm doing. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, not easy all the time, but it's a beautiful thing. Speaking of beautiful things, you did an interview on 60 Minutes years ago. And it was just three or four years into your speaking career. It's the one where you began, by the way, by doing a backflip off the diving board. Like, that's just showing off, man. So we'll come back to that if we have time. <laughs> but you do a backflip off the diving board with no hands, no arms, no legs. Uh, it's a remarkable thing right there. But one of the questions asked by this reporter was, Nick, do you, do you ever think you'll have kids? And at this time, Nick, you weren't dating you'd never really really dated and you looked him back in his eyes with your beautiful eyes and you said oh yeah mate i absolutely expect kids and i expect one day to walk one of them down the aisle right so, so my question is talk about the value of hope and vision for tomorrow you know if, if you only focus on what's happened and what you see and what you feel now you're never gonna achieve your full potential and if you stop going uphill you'll never see what you've been meant to see you've been built to see more experience more and live more abundantly and to have vision in survival mode is difficult um, to go from surviving to thriving, that's a journey itself. But I hope that people like you and I could inspire people to know that if Nick can do it, I can do it. Um, I want to be like Nick. I want to be like John. Um, people who didn't give up, who dared to dream dared to believe uh, beyond the realm of possibilities. And so um, people were that person for me. And now to be that person for others, uh, it's a beautiful pay it forward thinking. And the one thing I could tell people right now is if you're in survival mode and you get through what you're going through and it's 10 years from now and you come across someone who's currently your age, who feels like giving up because they're going through what you've been through and you look them in the eye and say, hey, I've been there. I know how it feels. I too wanted to give up, but I didn't give up and I'm okay. Um, if you could be a miracle for someone else, just like John or Nick did for someone else, then that's the greatest purpose you could ever live for in my mind mm. where you're saving a life. What's the value of a life? It's someone's son. It's someone's father. Um, 
So think outside of the current and just take one day at a time. And still be thankful for what you have. I think if people do that, and the last thing, if you have the focus and mental capacity to do it, um, first of all, talk to somebody, but then at the same time, give back to someone who don't even have the capability of thanking you or even knowing it was you giving back to somebody without expecting anything back mm. is one of the greatest cures of depression. It's purposeness. That's awesome. Nick, the, uh, the man who is interviewing you right now spent a long time in his own life wondering if anyone would ever see beauty in me, in my hands, in my brokenness, in, in my scars. And eventually I would meet a girl named Elizabeth Grace, brunette, brown eyes, beautiful girl inside and out who saw past the scars and saw what real beauty ultimately is. You found that too. Maybe the only guy who outkicked the coverage farther than I outkicked the coverage is Nick. So. Nick, Nick, talk about your bride for a moment. What did you see in her, and what do you think she saw back in you? She was, first of all, one of the most beautiful. I actually, I was asked by one of her friends who was hooking me up, what do I think of her? And uh, <laughs> I said, she's the most beautiful soul I've ever met. Just looking at her eyes, I could see who she was, and I could read body language really well, but, I mean, it was just, chemistry firework explosion <laughs> and it was for both of us and um she she is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me um where she loves me she believes in me um before we married i like does she realize i have no arms and legs my parents were like do you realize he has no arms and legs? And she's like, I don't see that. Mm. And they even asked her, like, you know, what if your kid has no arms and legs? She's like, well, at least they've got a good example to live by. And um, and so just her perspective and her life and her strength and her faith and her love and her capacity as a human being uh, is unbelievable. And so she's definitely helped me to rise above my um, daily or weekly or yearly battles and stuff that we all go through, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, as a father, as a husband, you know, we've all got different roles, but we all go through the same kind of things and we need each other. And so she goes through difficult things. I go through difficult things. And the beauty thing, the beautiful thing there is, um, we're here for each other, and together we're stronger. As a dad, Nick, you and I both share that great job title. One of my concerns was how my kids might respond to me as they became more aware of dad's a little different than everybody else. And at age three, my oldest was in the bathroom with me. I'm shaving in the mirror. My shirt is off, and he's tracking my, my torso, this big, thick red scar I have on my stomach, with his index finger. And then he looks up at me and says, hey, Dad, your tummy is red, it's bumpy, and it is ridgy. And I'm like, oh, man, here it comes. And then he says, and I love it. So my, my, my question to you is, when was the experience where you realized you may not look like every other kid's dad, but you were going to be able to dad and to love him and to guide him forward like any other dad, maybe even better than any other dad. So what was that experience 
for you? You know, there are multiple experiences. So I have a seven and four year old son. Um, and then we've got twin girls who are two. And um, I would have to say that as Kiyoshi, our oldest, was three and four, he realized I couldn't play some of the games that the other kids would be able to play with their dad. But I was just so moved and inspired that he'd come up with his own games and ways and how to play with that or has no arms and legs. And it kind of comes up every two weeks that I have no arms and legs, but it's okay. We're all special. And I'll never forget that um, that day I went to school, his school, dropped him off with my wife. And then it was the first time that all the class saw me hmm. and they were moving on into some activities. And 45 minutes later, he just decides to get up and make an announcement. Yep. I have a dad. He's got no arms and legs, but we're all special. And he just sat back down and kept on going. So we just, uh, you know, so made good. the teacher cry, you know, <laughs> and just really cool. Well, my friends, I'm going to pause the conversation with Nick just for a moment because I got an email that, that really shocked me. Here's what it says. John, I've not yet checked out the book in awe, but I can't wait to find a copy somewhere. Unbelievable. I know. There is one of our listeners somewhere in the world that has been aware of this beautiful book on the shelves, but has not yet taken the time, taken the opportunity to check it out for themselves. It is an instant number one national bestseller. It's the kind of thing you definitely want to get your hands on. So I wanted to share with that individual and maybe with you where you can grab your copies today. All fine retailers are carrying them right now. Or you can always go to my site. It is at readinawe.com. One more time, my friends, readinawe.com. While you're there, you can check out some of the early praise from peers, from community members. You can leave your own comments. You can also check out our 21-day challenge there. So journey forward with me. Go to readinawe.com. Check out the book. It's called In Awe. And I'm looking forward for you getting your hands on that copy. Now, my friends, back to Nick. Nick, obviously, when we found out you were going to be on our show, we, we put it online and asked for some questions. We were overwhelmed with the questions asked. I picked only one out of many. But Michelle Barlow wants to know, hey, Nick. I have a special needs sister, and people are always staring and whispering under their breath. How do you handle this with dignity? Yeah, I think it's it's rough for all sides. I mean, first of all, you've got the parent of the child who's pointing their finger at me. Then you've got the actual sibling of me looking at that happening. And then you see my mom's side, and then you've got my side. And, you know, you've you got to take into consideration um, that I may be the first child they've ever seen with no arms and legs or first man without arms and legs that they've ever seen. And some parents educate their kids on differences. Some people don't. Mm. Um, some smart parents come up and say, yeah, let's go say hi to him. And then they realize as I'm talking to them, um, they said, you know, you, do, do you mind if you just quickly, we quickly say hello and then really breaks the ice and I think that's the most effective thing for you to reach out and say yep I'm a little different but well my son's a little different but you know hmm. um, different special needs are different special needs and approaches obviously you've got mental uh, needs as well special needs so 
um, which might be a little bit different than seeing your body different. So, but yeah, just doing your best to bridge that gap um, in conversing and appreciating and acknowledging uh, and still sharing that, you know, everyone still has a value. So everyone's different, right? Everyone's different, including the person who's actually the disabled one who doesn't know how to deal with it as well. So some people actually don't even like the the word disabled and I'm okay with it. And so everyone's got their own little angle, but just do your best and don't overthink too much. I asked you earlier, Nick, when you look in the mirror as a child, what do you see staring back at you? And you, you, you shared four words, alone, depressed, sad, fearful. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. But my final question before we get there is this. Nick, when you stare in the mirror today, what do you see staring back at you? Uh, honestly, I had a good balanced life in 2018. I switched off my phone Friday to Monday every week. Um, I want to go back there. I am very thankful for my God-given vision to change the world one person at a time. But I have to say I've gone through a heavy 18 months. Uh, my dad, I nearly died 2016. My yeah. dad died 2017. And then um, trying to figure out how do I reach the world without traveling and still trying to crack that nut and really focusing in on that to have a good 2021 and beyond. I think balance is something that I am starving for. And uh, I did have that, John, for a while. And I'm very thankful I did. Uh, my wife was really impressed. I only worked three days a week, and then I'd travel and just come home and keep my phone off, basically. And so I was able to do that. Um, but my whole brand is in a revolution process right now. Um, I'm actually starting my own podcast channel. Um, and so with that, um, I want people to know that I'm not the only inspiring person out there. Um, and giving the platform of other people to share their stories so people realize that Nick's not special. We're all special. And we all can do something to change the world. And so if I look myself in the mirror, I'm thankful for what I have. I got what I got. I'm glad. I'm beyond thankful for my faith. I'm beyond thankful for my family. And I'm beyond thankful for my friends. But if I look myself in the mirror today, I'm holding on to a dream to come true, to go back to balance life within four or five months. So there's my transparent answer to you. I, as your brother and friend, will hold you accountable to that as best I can. That that's the kind of dream you can you can wake up and live. Yep. We're gonna get there. We are gonna get there. And why wait four months? So uh how about on Friday you keep the phone off? We'll start there. So Nick, we have seven final questions that are gonna pull this interview together in a in a beautiful bow. So question number one, what is the best book you have ever read? <laughs> the Bible apart from that. Um <laughs> I've got five. They were pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know what? I've read three of them, and they are better than pretty good. So, uh, Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Now, look, I, I think what because of me, John, um, and it changed my life, it was Money Secrets of the Rich by John Burley. 
Um, he taught me to think about money differently. Um, we could hope and pray and wait all we want, but if you don't do what you can do today, you're not going to get nowhere. And that's what that book helped me to understand the basics of financial literacy. And I started reading that at age 17. I've read it several times. And so, that man changed my life. Awesome. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I think I had such a determination where, but I think I still got that, um, where I just ask why not, right? I, I feel like I still got that. So something that I had back then that I, that I would wish I'd do it as brilliantly, mm-hmm. um, that I think I had a fullness of, obviously kids are kids, right? And so I think in the moments of uh, adulthood, yeah, when something's really good, celebrate the good longer and more fully. Mm. Uh, I I I really feel like we forget to stretch out those celebratory things, and we tend to stretch out the valleys more than we should. When I, by the way, look at, in your eyes and when I see interviewers look into your eyes and audience members and friends and strangers, I think what they see is that childlike joy. I, I think that's what is so attractive to them. So they, they see that alive and well still in this 38-year-old yep. man. Nick, I know uh, we, only, we have five questions to go, so we're going to sprint through them. If your home caught fire and all living things, your four children, your beautiful wife, your animals, everybody's out and you have an opportunity to go in and grab one item. One thing, what do you return with? Gosh, um, I've got a painting on my wall that my best friends have the same one of, and it's uh, a glass, uh, five hands holding. I'm looking at it right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six hands holding six glasses of wine doing a cheers to life. That, that's what I would take. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to have seated right next to you? I think Oprah Winfrey, um, because I really want her to know that Jesus loves her and heard her prayers when she was a child, giving her the greatest pulpit in the world to preach the gospel unwaveringly. <laughs> Um, I think Oprah arguably is one of the most influential people on planet Earth still today. And if she, lock and load, said Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, I think a lot of more souls would come to heaven. So that would be mine. What's the best advice that anyone ever gave you? Learn how to reverse engineer your goals and time prioritize. (laughs) Oh, man, that's so scientific. I, th- I thought it'd be something more high and flighty. But no, you're saying prioritize those goals and reverse engineer so that you can live into them. Really? And apart from that, on a spiritual level, the greatest advice is always drilled into me. Stay humble. We'll have you back on another podcast and talk only about humility because it's a trait we seldom see. And yet you're one of the most humble, successful guys I've ever met, Nick. So uh, next time we'll we'll unpack that one. That's great. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Carve out one hour of your day and do nothing but just sit in silence and think. Wow. 
read your Bible more, and pray more. I'm writing that down because uh, your 42-and-a-half-year-old friend needs to write that one down and live into it. So, Nick, question number seven is it has been said that all great people, and we have one with us today on the Live Inspired podcast, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? An imperfect ambassador for perfect hope that had a heart bigger than Texas to help the world know that they're loved and to never give up. (laughs) An imperfect ambassador for perfect hope with a heart bigger than Texas to help the world know that they are loved and to never give up. Nick, I want to thank you for being that imperfect, perfect ambassador. You are, man. Love you, John. Dude. And you're awesome, dude. You keep going and doing what you're doing, man. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm following in your footsteps. My friends, that is Nick. I am John. This is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Before I leave you today, I want to invite you to return to the joy of navigating life as a child, packed with wonder, packed with inspiration, packed with meaning, packed with joy. Many of you are still asking, but John O'Leary, have you read the headlines? Do you know my life? Are you looking at what is coming our way? Are you looking at how cloudy the sky is and how much anxiety we have about what tomorrow might have in store? Well, I am. But my latest book, In Awe, is packed with fresh insights and action stories to reignite that inspiration, that meaning, and that joy for you and your journey forward. It may not make the difficulty of today completely disappear, but it will remind you for a fact that the best of your day remains in front of you. So let's go ahead and check out that book right now. Grab your copy of In Awe at the website, readinawe.com or wherever books are sold. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary. This is your day. Live in awe and live inspired.